Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, expelling a Chinese diplomat. Our government has been clear we will not tolerate any form of foreign interference in our internal affairs. The Trudeau government declares Zhao Wei unwelcomed in this country for taking part in an intimidation campaign against Conservative MP Michael Chong. Why did it take the government so long? What about other calls opposition members are making about foreign interference? We will speak to an MP's panel. And... Prime Minister Trudeau confirmed that the military will be sent to assist. Wildfires across northern Alberta spark as the provincial campaign gets underway. Coming up, we'll take a look at the impact of those wildfires, including its impact on a short four-week campaign for the provincial legislature. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. The government finally expelled Zhao Wei this afternoon, declaring the diplomat from the People's Republic unwelcomed in Canada after a Globe and Mail report last week exposed his attempt to intimidate Conservative MP Michael Chong. He did so by targeting Chong's family in Hong Kong. Now, the announcement on Zhao was made this afternoon by the Parliamentary Secretary to Foreign Affairs, Rob Oliphant, after MPs debated an opposition motion on foreign interference. And I want to take this opportunity to inform the House that the Government of Canada has declared the individual in question today a diplomat from China, Mr. Zhao Wei, persona non grata. Our government has been clear we will not tolerate any form of foreign interference in our internal affairs. Well, with more, we're now joined by Liberal MP Greg Fergus, the Parliamentary Secretary to both the Prime Minister and the Treasury Board President, Andrew Scheer, the Conservative House Leader, and Heather McPherson, the NDP's Deputy Whip, also Vice Chair on the Special Committee on Canada and the PRC Relationship. Good to see the three of you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us on the show. Uh, listen, Mr. Fergus, I'll get you to start. Your government has now declared Mr. Zhao persona non grata, but really only after the House debated that Conservative motion. Why wait until after QP to make that announcement? Well, uh, let me say, I guess the real question is, is why wait uh, the time since the story broke in the newspaper? And the simple reason is that you want to make sure that you practice diplomacy in a way that is well thought out, well considered, and well planned. This is not something that you do on a hair trigger uh, approach. You have to make sure that you're, when you're dealing with a country as serious as China, that you have all the facts available in front of you, that you have all the options available in front of you, and that you make sure that you take the right action. I'm really quite convinced that we have taken the right action in a way that protects the liberty of all Canadians, especially members of parliament, uh, who should be free to exercise their, uh, their, their rights and their, their obligations to express themselves on a number of issues and that them and their families and frankly all Canadians be free from any intimidation from any foreign power if they don't like what we have to say. Uh, Mr. Shear, what do you make of the timing? Well, I've never heard someone uh, describe a two-year period of doing absolutely nothing uh, a, a, a hair trigger. Uh, this government has known for two years that this particular operative from the regime in Beijing was harassing uh, the family of a member of parliament because of a vote taken in the House of Commons. That's
that speaks to the very core of our democracy, regardless of which party uh, we belong to. We should all take that very seriously. Except, except the Prime Minister continues to say that they did not know about it, that it may have the, stopped at the bureaucratic level, but did not make its way to the political level. Uh, no, uh, what, 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 the, what Justin Trudeau is doing is he, he's being very careful with language. He's saying he didn't know about the specific threat against Mr. Chong. So it sounds to me like uh, this, that, that, that there was information provided to the government. They just didn't know which MP. But it shouldn't matter which member of parliament. For two years, this, this individual has been organizing this type of uh, harassment campaign against a member of parliament's family, and more, and just as importantly, against many people of Chinese descent here in Canada. We hear from all, uh, all kinds of people in the, in the Chinese community, people who have come or their parents have come uh, from China, who say that they, that they feel intimidation sometimes when these consular officials, these, these operatives from Beijing, uh, exercise this kind of influence in Canada's democracy. This CSIS report, we now know from CSIS, went to uh, across all departments. We now know from CSIS themselves that they this this did not stay at CSIS. They did submit this uh, to the National Security Advisor, who reports directly to the Prime Minister. So we're not satisfied with the, with Justin Trudeau's uh, uh, defensiveness on this. Uh, we, 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 that's why we move this motion. There's action that needs to be taken, uh, whether it's shutting down the police stations that are run by the regime in Beijing, whether it's creating a foreign agent registry, which is something that this government promised to do and then has done literally nothing about it. And as you point out, uh, for over a week after this story broke, uh, the government was saying that they were powerless to stand up for Canada. They were more worried about hurting the feelings of uh, the communist regime in Beijing than standing up and protecting Canadian democracy. This inaction speaks volumes about this current government. And Ms. McPherson, what do you make the government's timing here? Did they take too long? You know, I think we're all disappointed by this. I mean, this is this is at the very lowest bar that the government could have done. This is the very least that they could have done to protect our, our democracy, to, to protect parliamentarians. And, and I, I agree with Andrew, you know, this is not just about parliamentarians being interfered with. This is something we've been hearing from the, the Canadian Chinese community for decades. This is something that has not been dealt with by, by government after government. And, and we've gotten to a point now that, that more needs to be done so that Canadians have, have confidence in their democracy, they have confidence in, in the, the ability, uh, their safety, I suppose. Um, and, and one thing I think that is also really important for us to, to recognize and something that I'll be raising in the House later on tonight during this debate is, is that, you know, it is not just political or electoral interference that's coming from the government of China. It's coming from Iran. It's coming from uh, Russia. You know, even during the convoy, we saw there was a lot of interference coming from the U.S. And we have to be aware of it. We, 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 we expect our government to do everything they can to protect our democracy, to protect those, those institutions in our country against um, political interference. And so, so we need the government to do more. We need them to act faster. Uh, they feel very frozen to me, like they are afraid of taking action, and, and that's just not good enough right now. Okay, Mr. Fergus, the conservative motion uh, that Mr. Shearer referred to, it does call uh, for things like more than just the expulsion of Mr. Zhao, but also things like an inquiry into foreign interference, the shutting down these so-called police stations, the expulsion of all PRC diplomats involved in interference. Uh, that motion was adopted by the House. Will your government accept the will of Parliament? 
Well, let me just say this. That motion really it was recounting a whole bunch of actions which we've already taken. So, for example, uh, back in December, we had announced that we were going to be setting up, uh, having consultations on setting up a foreign, uh, foreign agent registry. So we, Canada has now some choices between. Canadians have a choice. Do we want to have a model uh, which we can find in the UK or do we want a model that, find, that we could find in Australia? Got to get the model right, making sure it's adapted to our concerns. We, made a, uh, we, made, we set up the special rapporteur to make recommendations in less than or in about two weeks, as long as about two weeks from now, uh, Mr. Johnson, former Governor General of Canada, is going to be making recommendations public to the Prime Minister and to the people of Canada. And the Prime Minister has made it very clear that he will implement all those actions. So the things that you'll find in that, and, and shutting down the police. Uh, um, uh, or these, uh, these, these police stations and these activities which are, which are illegal in Canada, the RCMP has already said that they've disturbed these activities and that they've shut down the illegal uh, activities which are being done at, this, uh, at these stations. I mean, so all these actions have been taken. Um, I'm glad that uh, there is a motion on the floor uh, to, to deal with that and you'll be seeing this government continuing its way to making sure that Canadians are safe, not only just parliamentarians, but all Canadians are safe. That's not a partisan issue. That is a fundamental uh, responsibility okay. of every parliamentarian. I've got a couple of minutes left here. One, one, one minute to you, Mr. Shear. One minute to you, Ms. McPherson. Uh, your reaction to what you just heard, Mr. Shear? Well, my Liberal colleague still suffers from that, that problem that Liberals seem to have all the time where they confuse making an announcement with action. Uh, they said they were going to close the police stations, they're still open and operating. Uh, they said they'd bring in a, a foreign agent registry, they haven't. And it's not like these things, uh, these incidents just happened a few weeks ago or a few months ago. We have known about this interference scheme that the Beijing regime has been uh, operating for years. So to say that they're consulting and they're studying, they've had years to do that and they still haven't done it. And what they've done with this phony, bogus title of a rapporteur, they've picked somebody from the Trudeau Foundation, uh, an organization oh, that is embroiled in scandal because of a donation that was solicited by the Prime Minister's brother, by Justin Trudeau's brother, to, to, to go and collect money from someone linked with the communist regime in Beijing. That's who they've picked to head up this study as to what should be done. So they, they, they've hired someone from the Trudeau Foundation to look into what kind of a process they should implement to study this issue. It's all bogus, it's all words. Canadians expect real action. When our democracy is threatened like this, and when thousands and thousands of Canadians of Chinese descent are being targeted like this, Canadians expect results, not more consultations and studies for months and months and years and years, especially mm -hmm. when there's an election on the horizon. Uh, if the government continues to drag its heels, then we will go into the next general election with the same types of threats hanging over our head as uh, we saw in 2019 and 2021. Okay, Ms. McPherson, last word to you. Thank you so much. Well, I, you know, I think we really need to take these threats against our democracy very seriously. I think that, that Canadians expect all parliamentarians to work together, all parliamentarians to find solutions to these. These are, these are things that the government of Canada needs to act on, they need to act quickly on. They have dropped the ball, they have failed to to make sure that parliamentarians, that Canadians, that their, their safety is protected, that the democracy is protected in this country. But I think going forward, let's find those solutions. Let's find those ways to work together. This has to be bigger than partisan politics. This has to be about making our democracy stronger, giving Canadians the trust that, that their government will take care of them, will take care of parliamentarians, will take care of our vital institutions. It's just too important to make this a partisan issue. It has to be something that we all work together on.
Okay, Ms. McPherson, Mr. Fergus, Mr. Shear, thank you for the time this evening. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, let's stay on this topic right now and bring in Arthur Wilczynski. He is the Senior Fellow with the University of Ottawa's Graduate School of Public and International Affairs. He spent more than 30 years in the Canadian public service working on foreign policy, intelligence and security issues. Uh, Arthur, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. So here we have Ajawi now being declared persona non grata by the Canadian government. This was after a week of heavy pushing from the opposition, in right. particular Conservative members. Did it take this government too long to come to that conclusion? I think it did, uh, but I'm glad that it's an important step that they have taken. Uh, I think it was the very least that the government could do in terms of conveying to, to the government of the People's Republic of China and to Canadians uh, that uh, the behavior uh, of foreign interference, and particularly the threatening behavior undertaken by this, uh, this individual, is unacceptable. Um, and uh, it's a very calibrated response, uh, but it's also a fairly limited and circumscribed response. Yeah, limited, as you say, but, but why limited, though? Because, yes, uh, Zhao Wei uh, was involved in this intimidation tactic, and make no mistake, that's what this was, in trying to intimidate a member of parliament. But at the same time, this is on top of foreign interference in two federal elections, at least. Uh, Chinese police stations, so-called police stations in this country, intimidating the Chinese diaspora, who are now part of this country. Why does it have to be limited? Well, I don't think it needs to be. I think that's a, a judgment call. And I think that the, uh, the government uh, and uh, the minister over the past number of days have been signaling that they wanted to send a message, but they were also concerned about a number of factors. Um, they were, you know, their concerns, I think, are legitimate in terms of what will be the response of the People's Republic of China. Historically, uh, that, uh, that government uh, does take disproportionate action, and it can affect our consular affairs, it can affect economic interests. But again, that's why I'm, I'm glad that this is a first step, and I agree that it's limited. All of the things that the PRC has been doing in Canada over the past number of years have been completely unacceptable. The fact that they've been doing it with impunity, the fact that they've been doing it in multiple places across the country, where, we, like you said, the, the, uh, the reports of the police stations in Montreal, in Toronto, in Vancouver, uh, this is something that's widespread. And I think that a more robust response would have been appropriate. But again, I think that I prefer a response than no response. Mm -hmm. uh, I do wonder, though, what is the concern, though? You say you, you believe that the, the government hesitation on some fronts is legitimate. Walk us through that, because I think there are a lot of Canadians that don't understand. They, they look at this and say, clearly, these, these Chinese diplomats, or this one Chinese diplomat at least, uh, was trying to intimidate a member of parliament, which has an impact on our democracy. Right. You're trying to influence the Chinese diaspora in this country, which has an impact on our democracy. So what is the fear of basically saying to China, no. So the fear is that they'll take action in various areas unrelated to the specificity of what they're accused of doing here. And that cuts across a wide swath of potential uh, activities. So again, Canada has a diplomatic presence and a consular presence in, in the PRC. We have a presence in, uh, in Hong Kong. And the concern is, is that if we uh, kick out one, they'll kick out many. Uh, and that our ability to serve the hundreds of thousands of Canadians who live in either Hong Kong or the PRC uh, will not have access to the kinds of services that they need in order to you know, maintain their well-being uh, in terms of maintaining connections to Canada. So that's a, that's a legitimate concern. Uh, my experience has been, and I'll, I'll draw on, on the time when I, when I served in, in Norway as Canada's ambassador there. Uh, when I was there, 
the Norwegian government was in a very significant spat uh, with the PRC. And that was over uh, the awarding of a Nobel Prize to a Chinese dissident. And China took broad action against Norway, tried to make an example out of Norway because it was so displeased uh, with the actions of the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. And so I think it's legitimate to, to expect uh, that China will undertake the same kind of broad-based action against, against Canada. So we need to be measured. We need to, to understand the implications. Uh, and I think that that's why, over the past number of days, Minister Jolie and the Prime Minister have been saying that our response is going to be you know, measured. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll communicate it uh, appropriately to the representatives of the PRC. It's why uh, the Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs uh, had uh, called in the Chinese ambassador. I think all of this was laying the groundwork over a number of days through very strong diplomatic language that, that something was going to happen. So it wouldn't surprise the PRC. We'll now see whether or not the PRC will, uh, will, will reciprocate or uh, aggravate the situation. But again, as you said, I think that this is the, literally the least uh, that the government can do, and I would have hoped that they would have been more robust in their response. Now, uh, Michael Chong, uh, of course, the, the Conservative MP at the center of those, this most recent episode, uh, he stood up in the House of Commons today and accused the government of failing to protect members of Parliament, failing to protect uh, the democratic process in this country. What do you say to that? I, I say that he's correct to be, to be angry. Uh, I say that, uh, that he has, and Canadians have, every right to expect that the government is going to protect them and their national interests. And I think that it's taken too long uh, for the government to take this uh, small step. Uh, I think that uh, we've been hearing from everyone from the Prime Minister, Minister of Public Safety, uh, various national security and intelligence officials for, for months now, that China is the number one foreign interference threat uh, to Canadians. We have heard from members of the Chinese diaspora directly about the effect that this is having on their sense of security and their sense of well-being, the harassment, the intimidation. It's unacceptable that this kind of behavior uh, happen in, in the country and that we need to send a strong message. And, uh, you know, the, the conversation around the, you know, we were worried about the consequences, I think ignored the fact that Canadians are already suffering the effects of the foreign interference. We're not starting from zero and that the initial action is this uh, expulsion of a Chinese diplomat. Canadians for years have been feeling the effects of this foreign interference and harassment of the Canadian diaspora, and they've been feeling that without consequences for the representatives of, of the government, the PRC government that is undertaking this. And that's unacceptable. We have to show that we will not tolerate this kind of action uh, for the benefit of Canadians who are suffering and who are the victims of this action, but we also need to send strong action to other hostile state actors who are looking at what Canada is doing and are coming to the conclusion that this is a permissive environment, that they can interfere with diaspora communities here, they can uh, harass and intimidate, and that the Canadian government will be reticent to take action. And that is a terrible uh, message to send both to Canadians and to those hostile actors that are willing to intimidate us on our sovereign territory. Arthur Wojcinski, thank you for this. Really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Ottawa says it will answer Alberta's call for help. There are right now dozens of wildfires burning in the province, and that has forced the evacuation of tens of thousands of people. Now, earlier today, the Alberta Premier did speak with Justin Trudeau after formally submitting a request for assistance. 
Now, the wildfires and evacuations come just days after the provincial writ was dropped. And to discuss how the current state of emergency in Alberta may affect the upcoming provincial vote, we're now joined by two journalists who are covering the campaign quite closely. Mm-hmm. Elise Von Schiel is a provincial affairs reporter for the CBC. She's also the producer of the West of Centre podcast. And Alex Boyd reports for the Toronto Star's Calgary Bureau. Hello to both of you. Hi. Hello. Now, of course, uh, this political campaign is arguably uh, more of an annoyance to, to anyone who's been forced to evacuate their homes. But given that we are a political program, mm-hmm. I do wonder how this disaster is affecting the first days of campaigning. Uh, Alex, I'll get you to start us out here. Yeah, I mean, to your point, there's 25,000 people in Alberta right now who can't go home, who are probably not thinking a whole lot about politics right now. Um, but it is having a huge effect, both politically and non-politically. I mean, when you look at the numbers, I think it's so clear what's happening in Alberta right now is very unusual. Um, I had a look at the provincial database this morning. Uh, there's 100 active virus currently uh, alit here in the province. Um, there's been 400 since the beginning of the year, an absolutely whopping 400,000 hectares of land burned. Um, and this is causing huge problems um, across the province. Um, there's been campaigns that have been suspended in areas that are particularly hard hit by fire. I know there's at least one MLA who has said uh, that there are fires, multiple fires actually bearing down on his land. So he's had to pull back. Um, So logistically, it's been a real problem. Both campaigns have said that they hope to go ahead. They hope that the election will be able to go ahead as planned. Um, But at the same time, um, you know, elections, Alberta may have to make tweaks in terms of of local accommodations that people, frankly, just aren't able to get to the polls. Um, But more broadly, I mean, the fires have pulled focus over, you know, whatever the heck the parties thought they were going to be talking about the first election of the campaign. Um, We've seen a few kind of fragile signs of bipartisanship which feels a little bit unusual in Alberta right now. Uh, There's a photo from yesterday of uh, Premier Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley seated at the same table having a discussion about what's going on with the fires, uh, which makes sense, of course. You know, uh, Rachel Notley is the leader of the opposition. Um, She was also Premier uh, in 2016 when uh, fires ripped through Fort McMurray. So evacuation and fire management is something that she knows a little something about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen them, you know, fragilely come together a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you know, at a time when managing disasters like this are increasingly a part of the Premier's job here in Alberta in the last decade, we've seen major flooding, we've seen major fires, we've seen COVID, obviously, um, at a time when when questions of leadership are, are a big part of the campaign. Um, Daniel Smith is really going to be in the spotlight in terms of her ability to, to manage a crisis. Yeah, and of course, this is such a short campaign at least we're talking about four weeks here and when you look at that time period everything and anything can can affect the outcome or how people feel what are you hearing about the impact of this fire so far or these fires rather so far on the campaign it can be a plus and a minus and both can exist at the same time and to alex's point if your ranch is uh, on fire if you are in a hotel because you've been evacuated you're probably not paying a lot of attention to what's going on. Um, And I know that both campaigns, when the election started out, were thinking about this as a possibility, right? They were looking at the fire reports and at the weather and thinking, you know, fires might actually end up being a question in this in this election so it knocks people off message, right? Anytime, especially in a short campaign that you're not able to win the day, as, as they like to say, anytime that you're not the one controlling the messaging. Uh, it can be a lost opportunity to gain momentum in a short campaign. But at the same time, looking at that photo of, uh, of Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley kind of coordinating over this emergency, you can see how 
It's possible that voters, uh, as they are going through these weeks and as we are dealing with these fires here in Alberta, are going to be asking themselves a, a different question. We know that they are asking questions of the leaders on healthcare and on the economy, but uh, a new question that's going to be brought out of these fires for voters might just be, if a disaster strikes, who do I want in charge of the province? Well, and that does go down to, to leadership, Elise. You know, I, I'm wondering, when you look at these both uh, these women, both of whom are very well known in the province, talk to us uh, about the strengths and the weaknesses, Elise, uh, that, that both Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley bring to the forefront, especially g given this current situation where leadership is so important. Well, it's a unique situation. It really doesn't happen outside of Quebec that uh, a leader is the premier and then loses, stays on as the opposition leader and comes back for another round at, to, to what Rachel Notley is doing. And it's a unique situation. Both women uh, are women. We've got two leaders who, um, who have also been in that premier's office and are fighting for a chance to get back there. And so it's the unique situation where uh, you can't draw too much attention to your opponent's record because they can equally draw attention to yours. Both leaders have things that they have done and have said that have been clearly and deeply unpopular with people. Um, and so that is going to be a factor in this campaign, as well as the fact that they are both uh, very, they both have very strong personalities and are both very, very good communicators. And so when you're looking at how the issues play out, they're pretty evenly matched on a lot of things. And so when it comes to this fire, when you've got both with some experience managing these things and where voters are looking for that little bit extra, a, a time like this is where um, some of those questions can, I think, be settled. Yeah. Alex, what would you say about the strengths and the weaknesses of each party leader in this one? I think it's interesting when you look at kind of how each leader relates to her party. Because when you look at Danielle Smith, I think uh, a lot of observers have cast her as more of a liability. She is someone who um, has a history of making controversial statements, is a little bit more in untested in terms of her ability to kind of step up uh, and be that face of trusted leadership, um, as opposed to her party, which is you know a well-known brand in Alberta and one that does tend to get voters out, uh, out to the polls and a little bit more excited. Um, when you compare that to Rachel Notley, um, the polls seem to suggest that she is often more popular as a leader, as a person, um, but then her party is something that you know uh, is a little bit more untested or is viewed a little bit more skeptically within the province. I mean, if you look at the election signs that are all over the province right now, uh, the conservative signs say nothing about Danielle Smith. Uh, the orange NDP signs, of course, all have the team Rachel Notley banner on them. So um, in terms of the relationship to leader to party, we're looking at slightly different situations here. Um, Rachel Notley obviously uh, has stood up been led through a fire before. Um, we know that you know these sorts of situations can often make or break a leader. Um, the Calgary mayor, Nad Nenshi, uh, obviously was was forged in the Calgary floods, and and that was something that that got him a lot of prominence. The way he was able to lead through that situation. Um, so in some ways, I think you know Daniel Smith is really going to be in the spotlight here. But it's it's opportunity too, because at a time when her personal ability to lead, her credibility as someone in the premier's chair, uh, is something sometimes something that. That's questioned. Um, you know how she manages herself in the coming days and weeks um, could could have a real impact. Listen, I've only have about a minute left here, but I, I do want to get an answer from each one of you because, as you know, with when it comes to political campaigns ahead of an election, it's often what is not planned that becomes the defining issue that affects the outcome at the end of the day. Do you think this fire will be, or these wildfires will be, the defining issue again, given just how short this campaign is? Uh, Elise, I'll begin with you. 
That I'm not sure about, and especially because they're concentrated to a specific geographical area. So if you're talking about Calgary, where everybody says the battleground is going to be, um, we aren't so much affected by the fires down here. I think the the broader themes that the fire could establish when it comes to, to leadership uh, will be a big factor in the campaign. I think consistently what we've been seeing in polling, which is that healthcare and the economy are prevailing issues, will continue to be more of a more of a defining factor. And the defining factor will be who can win over that kind of mushy middle uh, of voters who um, might not ever want to be lifetime NDP voters, but who have been looking at Smith and don't necessarily trust her to be stable. And so I think those factors and however the fire may or may not play into them, um, it could become an issue. But those those more consistent issues, I think, are what people are talking about who are outside of the fire zone. Alex, last 30 seconds to you. I mean, whether it's going to be the defining issue, I think it's too early to say Alberta campaigns have a way of getting they are a twist and turn, shall we say. So it's hard to know what's going to happen between now and May 29th. Um, but in terms of these questions of leadership, um, I think it's going to, going to have an impact there. Okay. Well, we're watching and really glad to have both of you on. Hope we speak again before this campaign is done. But right now, Alex Boyd, Elise Von Schiel, thank you very much for the time this evening. Thanks, Thanks for having us. And that is our program for this Monday evening. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Coming up next, Esther Bejan avec l'Essentiel. Primetime Politics will be back tomorrow.